Hey everybody, thanks for tuning into The Way. This is a podcast where we just read through the Bible, chapter by chapter, and today I'm joined with Matthew Smith, my name is Ben LaGrange, and we're going to go through this story by story all the way through the chapter, just a little discussion along the way. I hope you open up your Bibles and read with us too. We also hope that at the end of this you would go back and be able to read for yourself and pick out your own little insights along the way. Uh, I'm Pastor Ben. I'm a pastor at St. Mark's United Methodist in Comanche, Iowa. And today I have with me Matthew Smith. How are you? I'm great, Ben. How are you? Not bad. Could you go ahead and tell everybody who you are? Uh, so, like Ben said, my name is Matthew Smith. I'm a pastor of the United Methodist Church, so we're two very rural communities in Northwest Illinois. All right, cool. Which ones are they? Pearl City and McConnell. So if you are in the Pearl City McConnell area, go out and see him. He's open on Sundays twice. Yes, I am. <laughs> so nice he does it twice. Is it the same sermon in both locations? It is a similar sermon in both locations. All right. Same. Similar, right? Similar. <laughs> That's all right. Good stuff. Well, today we're going to be reading through Mark chapter 6. Uh, there is a lot to cover in this. We're covering uh, people listening to Jesus preach and not getting it. We're seeing him send out the 12 disciples. Somebody loses their head. A whole bunch of other people get fed. And to top it all off, there's walking on water. There's a lot to go over here today, Matt. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read through the first section, and then let's go ahead and stop and discuss that once it's done, okay? Sounds good. Remember, your Bible is worth writing in, highlighting in, because when you come back to this later, that same wisdom you gained today might be able to help you even further the next time. Mark chapter 6. Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this, this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given to him? He even does miracles. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't his sisters here with us? They took offense at him. Ooh, that's worth underlining. And Jesus said to them, Only in, the, in his own hometown, among his relatives, in his own house, is a prophet without honor. And he could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Wow. <laughs> what do you make of that? What do I make of that? Well, it is interesting, isn't it, how we understand people based on how, they, how we perceive them. Um, and oftentimes, you know, we're amazed at some of the things that they do because we, we didn't expect it of them. Mm -hmm. um, I, I know if I went back to my hometown right now, there would be an equal amount of people who would be shocked and appalled that I was a pastor, mm -hmm. as would you know, welcome me with open arms. And so, you know, I'm not saying that I'm that would be you know, Christ in that situation, but um, it's interesting to think about um, how our perceptions as humans often dictate our realities. It really does. So, like, a lot of times um, when I run into people that I knew back in college, like, for the first time I tried that back in, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to give a date. Mm -hmm. Let's just say Jesus signed my yearbook. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I might be a little old. Um, and when I, uh, when I was in high school, people knew me as a, as a 
basically the punk kid. I was uh, into heavy metal, long hair, living in my car. <laughs> and if, if they saw me as a preacher, they wouldn't, they wouldn't take it as well, I think, sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, there's a lot to that. So you can see that in your life mm -hmm. where just getting along with people are just saying, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. And mm -hmm. I'm like, dude, what do you know? Mm -hmm. So they use like a they use evidence not for him but against him, right? Yes. So let's let's kind of take a look at the for and against on this. Let's add those up. All right. All right. What do you see as the evidence for him? Well, uh, it looks like they are. What is this wisdom that has been given to him? Mm -hmm. He even does miracles, and so he's appearing very very educated, very smart, considering that he was a carpenter's son and, and wasn't trained in rabbinical studies. Mm -hmm. um, and then against him, you're like, you're just a carpenter. Yeah, just, just Mary's son. Right, and they even use his brothers and sisters against him. How terrible is that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's one thing when your mom says, Jack, Susie, John, and whatever your name is. Yes. Jesus got that treatment. Yeah. So it's kind of a strange thing, but we're, we're also called to actually, we're supposed to be the ones living and sharing the gospel in our own hometown. Do you think there's something to that if you, if you would have more power from the seats in your own town than you would from the pulpit? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I'm not sure anymore. I mean, it's been <clears throat> enough years that I haven't, since I've been in my own hometown, and actually lived there for the amount of time that there may have been enough time passed that, that it would be fairly equal. But I know personally, um, as a pastor, I, I love it when the the wisdom comes from the congregation, when the ideas come up, when the Holy Spirit is working in them to to the point that they come up and say, Pastor, can we do this? And I say, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you know, the power doesn't have to come from the pulpit. Yeah. There is power in the pulpit, there's power in preaching the word, but that's not the only source of power in the church. Absolutely. And I, I think there's a lot of times, um, you know, when I looked at this uh, a few years ago, there was a lot that I thought about it because there is more more work to be done one-on-one -on -one there is than there is in, in a crowd. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot to be done in that. But I think there's something tied to this. Well, you're in a Methodist church, and I'm in a Methodist yes. church. Where do people start filing in from? Everybody sits in the back, right? Absolutely. Why is that? I don't know. But it's been that way for a long, long time. Right, right. And I sure I know that's not just a Methodist thing. That's a joke <laughs> that we make. <right? laughs> Presbyterians do it too, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. So, think of where you would want to sit if you went to SeaWorld. Mm-hmm. Where do you want to sit? Man? In the splash zone. In the splash zone. You want to get as close as possible. Mm -hmm. And it was, you remember Gallagher? I'm dating myself a little yes. bit, right? Gallagher used to be a comedian that would smash watermelons yes. with a hammer. And everybody would want to sit in the first three rows and bring a garbage bag yes. so they don't get their clothes stained, right? But see, I think it's very much in that same way. People want the power. They're, they're attracted by mm -hmm. the power. Okay. And uh, the wisdom and the other things that Jesus has. But... Ooh. They want to stay a little further back, don't they? Mm -hmm. Right. The adults do. Yeah. The kids. That's different. Are always excited to come up. 
but I always decided to come up for, for children's message, or I was excited to come up and, and receive communion, or I was excited to come up and just be a part of, of yeah. the service. Absolutely. And you know, there's, there is that difference. That's that faith like a child mm-hmm. that we always mm-hmm. talk about, isn't it? Yeah, and there's, there's a whole lot here. And Jesus said, you know what? It's, basically, it's that whole idea of uh, familiarity breeds contempt. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a fair amount of that that does happen. But you, we were also saying that, you know, they're holding on to the wrong pieces, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Would you read um, verses 6, um, actually, 6.5, um, all the way through 12? Of course. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts, or sandals but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Well, that's quite the opposite in so many ways, mm-hmm. isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. So what do, what do you see in that, personally? Is, does that speak to you on this? Any, anything that's jumping out at you, I guess? Well, uh, initially, uh, when Jesus is teaching from village to village instead of his own hometown, it's... You know, we are called to look beyond ourselves, mm-hmm. um, whether it be our, our families, our church, our community, our state, our nation. We're called to look look beyond um, because sometimes it's it's almost easier mm-hmm. to um, be able to go to a, a stranger or somebody else and show them the love and the grace and the compassion and the mercy um, than it is to to show people that you know we know they're right down the street and we know what their kids did and, and who they were and I don't know if we should you know, really be helping them. Right. So that's yeah. It's easy, easier to pull up to a stranger on the side of the road and push their car yes. than it is to uh, fix a flat for your brother. Right? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, one of the things that I'm seeing in here is this is quite the opposite for a number of reasons. Number one, it's places where they're not necessary. They would have been absolutely famous at this point. Think of a, a, a guy that you could prove goes town to town and just mm-hmm. fixes things. Mm-hmm. That's crazy, right? But if we actually look at the, um, the details of how this happens, there's absolutely nothing they take with them for the journey. Yeah, absolutely. So with uh, the first group, not only was familiar, but they had their, their heads full mm-hmm. of ideas about who this is, mm-hmm. what they do, why they do it, and mm-hmm. where they do it. So not only... It's not just a perception of the people, but mm-hmm. you're also looking at it from the, the perception of the disciples. Mm-hmm. They're going out, and they're having to rely fully on God. On God. Yep. So, what did Jesus say? Uh, foxes have their holes, birds have their nests, and the Son of Man has none. Mm-hmm. He has nowhere to lay his head. And this, this kind of reminds me of that. But when they did that, they also went out in power. Mm-hmm. That is, that is a crazy thing to really think about. There's no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. And either they accept you or they don't. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is a really powerful thing that we look at. And they drove out demons and anointed the sick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
That's crazy. Now, what's interesting is you said that, that they were famous just a, a moment ago. Oh, yeah. And really, I'm not sure they were. Jesus was famous by that point. Yeah. And, and the he, people who followed him. But this is the point where Jesus said, you know, it's not about me all the time. Right. And so he sent these, these disciples out who were just ordinary guys who he picked up along the road and said, I'm going to give you power. Ordinary guys, go into these villages, do your thing in my name, yeah. and show them the power of God, even when they're expecting Yep. And one of the things with, with this particular thing that we're looking at, yeah, Jesus, of course, would be the most famous, mm -hmm. but, you know, it's the splash zone still. That's true. So there's, there's a lot of people that are still, ooh, they're getting that look, and, oh, we're about to jump into this whole Herod and John the Baptist mm -hmm. thing, right? So... <laughs> You know, it's kind of like, uh, remember back, I don't know if you know back then, but uh, my parents back in their day had the Brat Pack, right? Mm -hmm. So who was that? Sammy Davis Jr.? Sinatra. Sinatra. Uh, uh, the Velvet Fog, I can't remember his yeah. name. Yeah, there, were, there was a whole mm -hmm. set of people, right? Mm -hmm. Dean Martin. Dean Martin. Oh, yeah. yeah. So there were a lot of people uh, that kind of splashed around that. So when one gets famous and one does something big, somebody else does too. So I look at that whole situation and I'm thinking they would have been known because this is a small place. We're not even talking really Iowa size. True. You know, not even fully Illinois size. Well, maybe. I don't know. So when we're, when we're looking in that, if you're just running around in those locations, people would have heard. People would have known. And, and I'm looking at, at but, those particular things and, and they would not be the centerpiece by any means, right? No, they're the centerpiece. And, you know... It's one thing to meet Scottie Pippen, and it's another one to meet Jordan, right? That's right, absolutely. <laughs> Hello, Horace Grant. If you're out there and you're listening... <laughs> we love you. We love you, too. Uh, but you're not Scottie Pippen, and you're not Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> so, when it, when it comes down to it, they're sent out, and people... Maybe someone had perception, maybe they didn't. Mm -hmm. But it's not a matter of familiarity, but... It's one thing that the people in the pews in the first story had their own concepts, mm -hmm. their own ideas. Mm -hmm. But here, the disciples are empty-handed. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And that is, that is a crazy thing right there. Um, especially when you relate that to like, what people think about faith healings and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. You know, there's, there's a story in the chapter before where, like, well, by your faith you're healed. Mm -hmm. Well, faith and expectation and hope and all those things run in the same vein. Mm -hmm. Did the faith do it or did something else? That's a question that's always been brought up. So we're always kind of weary of like the TV preachers in the ice cream mm -hmm. white suit smacking mm -hmm. people in the forehead, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that's one thing. But here, the disciples had to have the faith, mm -hmm. not necessarily the people who were being healed. That's true, too. And I think there's something to that, because when we share out the gospel, when we're going out and telling other people, ooh, we're terrible at evangelism, I think, sometimes. Absolutely. We're scared of it. <laughs> right? You don't talk about politics no. or religion. Yes, it's certainly not at the same time. It's certainly not at the same time. <laughs> well, you know, people will be more than happy to spout out about politics mm -hmm. these days, but, oh... Religion, that's, that's a no-no. Mm -hmm. Yet, we have to have this kind of faith to go with empty hands, empty pockets, mm -hmm. and just lay ourselves out there and say, 
this is the message. Mm -hmm. This is it. I'm going to go ahead and read through the, the next uh, section of the chapter here where Herod does his deed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. And some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised by the dead, and miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he's Elijah. And others claimed he is a prophet like one of, the old, one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. Now, I'm going to give everybody a kind of a clue on this. This story is kind of in a backwards storytelling from our Western concepts. Normally, we'll just tell you, hey, there was this guy named Herod, and he did this terrible thing, and this is what he thought afterwards. This is kind of an afterthought. So, in continuing, he says, for Herod himself had been given orders to have John arrested, and he had had him bound in prison. He did this because Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married, for John had said, it is not lawful for you to, lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a, judge, a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but was not able to. But because Herod feared John and protected him, we don't think of that part. Let's underline that for a second. Because Herod feared and protected him, knowing that he would be a righteous and a holy man. And when Herod heard John, uh, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Oof. Let's sit on that for a second, right? <laughs> Finally, the opportune time came, and on his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders, and, his leading, and the leading men of Galilee. And when, his daughter, when the daughter of Herodias, his niece, <laughs> came in and danced, and she pleased Herod and his dinner guests, and he said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, Whatever, I ask, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she said, went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? And her mother said, the head of John the Baptist. At once the girl hurried down, uh, hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was greatly distressed because of his oaths and his dinner guests. He did not want to refuse her. So immediately sent in an executioner with orders to bring John's head. And the man went, beheaded John, uh, the man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. And he presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. And upon hearing this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it into a tomb. Wow, the Bible's boring, isn't it, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> so this is, this is not what typically a lot of people think in the pews. Oh, he was a terrible person. He cut off John's head. Mm -hmm. When we actually hear that, there's... But he was actually tricked into it, now that we look at it in detail, mm -hmm. right? But uh, it seems to me that, that Herod is trapped between two worlds. Mm -hmm. He's trapped between you know, <clears throat> the world of the earth and all of the things that we have, the greed and the gluttony and um, all of those trappings of the earth. But he's also, he also understands, I mean, he is he's a Jewish uh, leader, he had grown up in the, in the culture of, of Israel, and so he he understood and he saw something different in John, which is why 
he didn't kill him right away, which why he, I think why he kept him, why he liked to listen to him, because he knew that he was a righteous man, and so he was trapped between these two, these two places. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he gets himself in trouble, um, as the temptations of the world, and he, and he makes a, a stupid oath to his daughter niece, and, um, Daughter niece, that's yeah, a term. Yeah, <laughs> niece, yeah. <laughs> and when, when it comes back, um, that she wants John's head, he can't, he can't overpower, he's not strong enough in his faith to overpower the world to say no, even though I promise you that, no, yeah. this is the righteous man, I can't, I can't kill him. Right, and that is, uh, that is definitely an odd thing, that I'm, I'm kind of looking at this as a whole. Mm-hmm. When I look at what Herod is doing here, he already has him in prison. Yes. He, yes, already yes. Had, he arrested him. He's like, oh, you know, you said something against him you shouldn't have. But, but I'm going to keep you like a little bird in a cage. You can <laughs> sing for me, right? Uh-huh. And there's, there's a lot of times that that happens that um, we hear what a preacher has to say. Mm-hmm. Which is really not even what that preacher has to say most of the time. No. If we're listening to a good preacher, it's what the Bible has Absolutely. to say. And what God is trying to tell us. Not just from 2,000 years ago, but what is the God trying to tell us through the Bible today? Yep. And when we hear that, and it interferes, and it, it gets in our sandbox. Mm-hmm. We don't like people in our cat box, nope. right? Nope. That's my cat box. So I like to keep all my little treasures there. <laughs> but when, when we deal with that, people get agitated. Mm-hmm. Now he knows that the guy is right, mm-hmm. but he doesn't want to give it up. Yep. Oh, have you ever seen that? No. Oh my. Never. Right. Nope. Where we get that that conviction or a frustration, we're like, "Well, God said this, but I'm not sure that part's actually true." And and, and I've seen people rail against this sort of thing over mm-hmm. and over and over. And what happens is someone becomes the lightning rod. Mm-hmm. And guess what? <coughs> John caught that, that lightning mm-hmm. because of it. So, yeah, he does get tricked into it. He's outwitted. And we like to think of our kings as smart and wonderful things. And then again... Uh, uh, yeah, not so much. Well, <laughs> I, I think as the king is one thing. But no matter who the president is, everybody thinks he's an idiot. Mm. <laughs> or at least at half, half the people. Yes, yes. Half the people think they're an yeah. idiot no matter what. Yes. <laughs> now that's and, not mix politics and religion. Well, well you know. <laughs> you put that chocolate in my peanut butter. <laughs> peanut butter's in my chocolate. Reese's Pieces, that's how that there happens. Yeah. So when we start looking at it, he's, he's like up to half. He's like, that was amazing. Whatever she did was amazing. Mm-hmm. And here it is. She gets the... The thing, not that she desires, but what her mom desires. Mm-hmm. Because her mom seemed to be the injured party in this. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a frustrating piece. So we look at, okay, number one, we tell people, in the first story, we tell people, and they're like, what authority do you have? Aren't mm-hmm. you that guy? Mm-hmm. Then the second story, we strip it all away, and what if I have nothing and I go out and tell everybody? Mm-hmm. Well, that third story is not, not necessarily the light and the darkness we're looking for, mm-hmm. is it? No. Nope. It's uh, it's kind of a give up, and and if you have to suffer for it, you have to suffer for it. There's also, I don't know if, <coughs> if you know, there's an interesting uh, correlation to foreshadowing of, of Christ's 
uh, passion and death on the cross. Mm -hmm. um, as in, Herod would be perhaps a, a pilotish sort of character, but his, his wife, who has been uh, told that you should be able to do these things and you can't, you shouldn't, you can't do this, this is wrong, would be the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, um, the high priests of Jesus' day. But then they come and they say, you know, we want him killed. Yeah. And Carrie has a decision to make, and he says, yes, we'll kill him. And then at the very end of this section, on hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Yeah. And, and you're absolutely right on that, because this book actually starts out with John as the herald. Mm -hmm. Not like herald your plumber, yes. but, but a herald, H-E-R-A-L-D. Yeah. Uh, as a guy who would basically, uh, for those who wouldn't really understand what that is, think of like 300. There's the guy that comes threatening the village and he's like, uh, bow down and come to the king because mm -hmm. he's coming your way. And they're like, no, this is Sparta. Kicks him yes. in the pit, right? Sure. <laughs> so a herald is someone who would actually announce that the mm -hmm. king is coming. Now he does this in so many ways. Mm -hmm. And it was even told there was a herald to the herald. That mm -hmm. was Isaiah. Yep. But when it comes down to it, what John happens to John will happen to Jesus on a larger scale. They're like, I hope you see this coming because you see this little cartoon here? That's going to become reality. And, and this lesser version becomes a reality. And there's a lot of that we actually deal with, um, this analogy that we deal with in sharing the gospel to people now, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So we've gone through this part. Could you actually... Uh, Jump through Jesus feeding the 5,000, sure. that'd be 30 through 44. Sure, good. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, You give them something to eat. They said to him, That would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it, give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. The disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was five thousand. Hmm. That's a lot. I think a lot of people have trouble conceiving of like what a big miracle this is mm -hmm. and how that actually happens. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I've heard people actually try to give uh, give an understanding that basically it was like, oh well, there's a story of two a little boy who gave up all that he gave and. And then, well, if he gave up his, then I can give up mine, and that's how the miracle actually happened. Mm -hmm. And I've heard that explanation. Is that what you subscribe to, or do you see something different? I'm not sure. Uh, I'm, I'm somewhere in between that. Uh, I sure don't want to take any power away from, 
from Christ and the miracles that he can do. Um, but there's a practical side to me that says, okay, well, was there some other way other than just mass-producing, Jesus mass-producing a lot of bread and fish? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I'm not entirely sure about that. Um, but given who Christ is and where, where the story is leading us, I, I, I'm, I'm leading to believe that he did create all of that yeah. somehow. Yeah, and it's, it's weird for us to think that God, mm-hmm. uh, God the Father, had said, let there be light, and bam, mm-hmm. there was yeah, light. Absolutely. And Jesus said, let there be fish, and then there were fish, yeah. And, and everybody mm-hmm. had around fish fillets, right? <laughs> so, it's, we, we see, the question for me is, was there tartar sauce? Yes. Was it fried? <laughs> was it boiled? I don't mm-hmm. know. No, just kidding. But, uh, and they all ate sushi. So, when I look at this, because people have a lot of trouble with, with the miraculous mm-hmm. because, you know, living in a, in a highly scientific world, mm-hmm. you know, we're sitting in front of a computer with microphones and, you know, high-tech computers in our pockets mm-hmm. and machines <laughs> to make our coffee, right, machines to make our coffees, all, all this stuff, right? So there's this exceeding amount of we understand how things work. But we, we, we don't always understand those things that are outside of that. Mm-hmm. We can only understand things to a certain degree. And um, without getting too nerdy, this, this concept of uh, Bayesian understanding, Bayesian theory, is basically we understand by the majority of our experience. Mm-hmm. So, um, have you ever seen a black swan? No, one person. You've only seen white swans? Yes. Okay. So then... If that would all you've ever known, mm-hmm. and you never had access to the internet or the other side mm-hmm. of the world, you wouldn't know that there are black swans mm-hmm. that live, you know, on the the southern hemisphere near uh, Australia, right? I don't know that. I'm just making up some of this. Yeah. I don't know, but <laughs> but we know for a fact because we've seen them. Mm-hmm. That, yes, they exist. Um, so we understand that. Yeah. Well, something had to happen, but what happened? And filling that in and painting the picture for ourselves is so personal mm-hmm. and so detailed that we, we often fill in the gaps. But here's what I know. Science has a lot of trouble with the infinitely small mm-hmm. and the infinitely large. Yeah, absolutely. It's the kind of what we can actually fit our little fingers around that really makes it understandable. And that's kind of where we paint our mm-hmm. picture and how we understand what it is. When I pray for things, and I see things done a lot. I've seen like crazy miracles that if I explained it, you'd probably call someone and sign some papers, right? But I've seen some straight-up miraculous things happen that I didn't know what, how to conceive of. Mm-hmm. And I have to just stop when I see those things and say, I worship the God of the practical mm-hmm. and what I would consider impossible. Absolutely. And I, I, I see this, and, and we have problems with it, but guess what? So do the disciples. Yes. <laughs> they don't get it either. Well, that's the, uh, I think that's the overarching um, story. We, we often get bogged down in the miracle thing. Oh, yeah. And we miss the point. And the point is, uh, seven verses ago, Jesus told them to go out with nothing and rely fully on God. Yeah. And then they come back. The very first verse that I just, that I just read was, the apostles gathered around and reported to them all that they had done. Yeah. And Jesus said, okay, good. And so the very next opportunity that they had to fully rely on God to feed all these people, 
after they had been fed, yeah. unclothed, unsheltered for who knows how long as they're out doing this. The very first opportunity they have, they go, oh, that's a lot of money. We can't do that. <laughs> well, they're like, well, we're going to people's houses is one thing if they yeah. got the cupboards full, right? <laughs> but it's, it's not like that. They didn't have the refrigerator chock full. Nope. And, and it's kind of a, a weird thing. And, and I kind of, in my mind, I, 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 this is just a terrible mm-hmm. thing, but I occasionally think, Jesus is just going to be shaking his head. Yeah, he's got to be. He's going to be like, oh, come on. I, I had this close friend of mine who's, um, who's had a lot of deals with, de- a lot of frustration mm-hmm. with depression and major, major issues. And he started uh, helping people out as a youth worker. And when, if you really knew his story, it would be funnier. But it comes down to this thing when, you know, someone who's dealt with depression mm-hmm. and attempting suicide and, and other major issues, and someone's like, I can't believe it, my iPod broke and my parents won't give me a new yes. one. The first thing out of his mouth is he shakes his head out of me and says, oh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I keep thinking, Jesus is sitting here, we got nothing to eat. How many loaves do you have? Two, a couple fish, or five loaves and a couple fish. He says, oh, a muffin. And I think, Poof, there's muffins for everybody. There's 5,000 muffins. <laughs> and they all have to be either pistachio or chocolate mm-hmm. chip, double chocolate chips. Yes. Shake his head, smack his forehead. What are you guys doing? Come, Come on. on. Come on. Did you not see this whole world thing we made? Yes. Okay, never mind. <laughs> so, I often wonder if that's where he looks at me sometimes. <laughs> Come I, on, dude. <laughs> I gave you this church. I gave you this calling. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. I, I think there's a whole lot of, uh, oh, seriously. <laughs> I kind of knew you would, but seriously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I came to a new understanding of that I, uh, I had had a, a time where my kids just couldn't get out the door in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, you're 10 and you're 13 now. You know, what do you not understand? Yes. We've been doing this for a decade <laughs> plus. And I thought, okay, this is trouble. And, I, and I'm thinking of them like adults. And I'm like... Mm-hmm. I, I don't have children. I've trained adults, just miniature mm-hmm. adults. Mm-hmm. And when they don't succeed, I'm, I look at them in a terrible, terrible light. Mm-hmm. And then I come home, and the dog has gotten into the garbage and strewn it across yeah. the living room floor. And I'm like, I'm like, I can't believe you. Wait, you're a dog. You're a dog. You're doing dog stuff. And then I'm like, oh, oh. they're children doing children's mm-hmm. stuff. And then I went in and I started to brush my teeth and I'm like, oh, you're just an idiot doing idiot stuff, Ben. <laughs> and I, those moments. And I think God looks at us like that on occasionally, like, oh, mm-hmm. come on. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. You're okay. okay. Yeah. We'll get over it. So immediately, mm-hmm. Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. He's like, okay, everybody said, let's get out of here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and go on ahead of him to Bethesda's Beth. Seda. I said that wrong. Bethsaida. And while he dismissed the crowd, after leaving him, uh, he went up on the mountainside to pray. He's like, hello. I like the crowds, but I need some alone time, right? So when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. And he saw the disciples straining at the oars. And, every, and because the wind was against them, and about 
the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them. He's like, you guys got this. You need a little help. You need a toe. You need a push, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I feel, now I'm picturing Jesus with a, with a, a Jeep and a winch on the front trying mm -hmm. to pull them out of the ditch. <laughs> and the wind was against them. And at the fourth watch, he went out to them walking on the lake. And he was about to pass them by. Are you getting that? Yeah. Dude, look at it. Right. Everybody's thinking like, okay, here's Jesus walking on the water, like having a little casual stroll. And, and here it is. He was about to pass the boat. <laughs> I'm just floored by that. But I'm going to underline that. Everybody, please, if you have your Bibles out, underline, he was about to pass them. But then... When they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost, and they cried out, Whoa! Because they saw him, and they were all terrified. Like, first of all, let's just be fair. Uh -huh. You see a guy walking on the water. What yeah. are you doing? Clean up on aisle four, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and, uh, this passage sometimes makes me remember that you know, they didn't have eyeglasses. Right. Back then, so, yeah. Yeah. Maybe they're going, uh, rubbing their eyes, going, uh, what am I really seeing here? What was And because they all saw them, they were terrified. And immediately he spoke to them and says, Take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. And then he climbed into the boat with them, and when the wind died down, they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the lows, and their hearts were hardened. So, here's the great thing, Matt. Mm-hmm. You and I don't understand, we can't conceive of, we don't know how the lows were done, but they saw it. Yep. And they didn't get it. Yep. And here he's like, he's like Gru in, in uh, Despicable Me, he's like, light bulb. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, turn it on. Do you not understand what's going on? Right? So they didn't understand that he could do fish and loaves, right? Mm -hmm. He's like, you know, they're trying to do addition, he's doing multiplication. He's doing quantum physics. <laughs> <laughs> and when it comes down to it, they're like, okay, okay, so we got that there's baskets and baskets and baskets left. But how are you walking on water? That's right. <laughs> and, and, and if we got to be honest, if you saw, you know, if you saw Superman shooting laser beams out of his right. eyes, you aren't going to be too freaked out when he's flying around. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And here's the deal. We got all these things we accept about Superman, right? All these things we'd accept about a superhero, okay? He flies, super strong, mm -hmm. really fast. Really fast, he likes punching things. Mm -hmm. And yet no one's disturbed that his underwear is on the outside. That was your point. <laughs> See, they're missing the whole point. They're, <laughs> they're being freaked out by the wrong things, right? You see a Superman, and you're like, okay, he's flying. I get that, right? No problem. I can conceive mm -hmm. of that. So laser eyes punching yeah. super fast. None of this really seems to be an issue. Mm -hmm. Nobody says, whoa, whoa, slow down, Clark Kent. Yes. Here's the deal. You shouldn't be that fast. How are you that fast? But yet they see Jesus heal people, mm -hmm. raise people from the dead, mm -hmm. make food out of nothing, yeah. preach with authority, preach with authority, and they're like, well, how are you walking on water, Jesus? <laughs> that make no sense. When, when you see something like that the first time, and, and the first time I saw, I've seen minor miracles, things that I just, you know, I couldn't get my head around. Mm -hmm. You know, pray for a headache to go, go, pray for mm -hmm. a job, and the job shows mm -hmm. up. 
But the first time I've seen someone's withered arm come away from their body and start moving like a normal arm. Uh, the first time I see someone who is near crippled get up and dance. Mm -hmm. I had to, my whole concept of reality, to be honest, just, it shattered. Mm -hmm. It shook it. I was like, okay, well, this is happening now. Mm -hmm. This is the world I live in. Mm -hmm. And yet the disciples couldn't quite get their heads mm -hmm. around that. Does it, how does that strike you? Have you, and I know not everybody's seen like some of these mm -hmm. over the top, like, I don't know what has happened mm -hmm. things. Is there something like that you've seen that you're just like, I can't even wrap my head around? I would say that to that extent, um, I would say that I, I've seen the power and the majesty of, of God's grace. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> for example, was I, I was called to a hospital. Um, uh, a young man and his girlfriend uh, were having their first child, mm -hmm. and they didn't make who were born. Was still born. and um, I went with them, and I was talking to talking to to him as we were walking to the room. I said, I, I, "How you doing?" He said, "Oh, I'm, I'm okay." I said, well, "No, you're not. That, that's okay." Um, we were in the room, and there's some family there, and we're talking for a while. And, and as uh, the extended family was about to leave, I, I asked if I could, you know, if they wanted me to, to baptize the child, and you know. Immediately, that was that was exciting. So we found a found a cup for some water. And we and we did a baptism, and you could. I, I don't know if there's a, a way to really see grace, but I could see it washing over all of those people there. Yeah, and that was incredible. Yeah, and really, at that point, you were doing a great service for the mm -hmm. family. Mm -hmm. You know, because God's already got that child. Absolutely, God's already got yep. that child. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't for the child. It was definitely for them. For them. Yeah. And and I I've seen those those major things happening. So if you can see something like that mm -hmm. happen, seeing someone who's mm -hmm. a drug addict change on a dime, yep. uh, see someone like reverse the course of their life in a absolutely. moment is no big deal. That's just the reality you live in now, yeah. right? Absolutely. And tigers don't change their stripes. Leopards don't change their spots. But people don't either, unless God's involved. That's right. Right. Absolutely. So yeah, they, they had a hard moment there. Could you read the next section between 53 and the end of the chapter? Sure did. Okay. When they crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. Wow. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the deal. i got to be honest. This is like, in my head, people are chasing him around in bigger crowds than Justin Bieber gets. Absolutely. You know, I think of that, you know, you got to have security to... No wonder he had 12 guys. Right? It takes 12 people. Yep. <laughs> so, we're looking at, guess, uh, so we are in in the on the edge of the Sea of Galilee at this point, and when they landed there, they've already heard. So as fast as Jesus was walking, as fast as the boat was rowing, yeah. there were people on foot. Mm -hmm. There were quick people telling all about this, right? Mm -hmm. Nothing travels like a rumor or a big hope, right? Yep, absolutely. So here we have Jesus' power 
doubted, shared, persecuted, questioned, mm-hmm. proven, and emphasized that it's proven. Absolutely. There's a great thing that happens within this. And um, one of the examples I gave in my sermon this week was from a sermon later in the chapter. But it, it really comes down to this. Through the first half of Mark, all the way through like midway through chapter 8, it's all about who is this man. Mm-hmm. And who recognizes him? Not many people. Not many around. Well, I never people recognize him. Not even the people in his own hometown really recognize who he is. Right. But, but there are crowds of people that are starting to follow him because he's a miracle worker. And then the thing that gets me is um, Gennesaret was not in Jewish territory. Yeah. So these are people that, that don't understand uh, the Jewish religion. They don't understand anything. Um, but they understand... Something's happening. Something's happening. And, the, and this, this person is coming, this man is coming, is important. He's life-changing, he's life-altering, and we need to get a piece of that. Yeah. And here's what it comes down to, and I, I start looking at these particular pieces, and I, I find them to be very important. The demon, Legion, mm-hmm. recognizes them. Mm-hmm. Yep. The sick recognizes them. Mm-hmm. The broken, the ones that have palsy, the ones that are blind, the ones that have dead people. They have nothing more to hold on to. And those that have their hands empty, and I, I think of, um, there's a hill song, uh, song called The Stand. Mm-hmm. It says, here I stand with arms wide and heart abandoned, mm-hmm. and all of everything you are, mm-hmm. right? and all of what you do. And when we look at this, we're seeing over and over, it's the people that have nothing, they're mm-hmm. holding nothing, just like the disciples were instructed to, to do. do. Take nothing, absolutely. They're the ones that can latch on to it. Mm-hmm. And I liken that this, this Sunday to a piece of messed up Velcro. Okay. You ever have Velcro shoes? Mm-hmm. Right, sixth grade for me. Absolutely. Thing, right? Sixth grade? Sixth grade, I'm old. Okay. I'm older than you. You should learn to tie your shoes by then? Well, I know, but it was a cool thing. Oh, okay. It was a cool thing. Okay. I knew. Oh. But I had a thing for walking through the fields. We were in mm-hmm. Bluegrass Island, which had like a population of six. Mm-hmm. That's not true. <laughs> but we lived about a mile and a half away from the school. Mm-hmm. So when I'd walk home every day, I'd walk in the ditches. Mm-hmm. And I'd walk through like some of the, uh, the thatch and mm-hmm. like the horse pasture out behind the house. Uh, be climbing around in trees and mm-hmm. stuff. And you get burrs. Yep. And you get just random threads seeds and strings and, and seeds. Yep. And all that gets caught in there. Mm-hmm. Now here's the deal. When we start looking at that, Velcro is made up of two things. Hooks and loops. Okay. The prickly side is the hooks. And then you got to get down there close to the microscope to see it. But they're all just like these tiny plastic loops. Or mm-hmm. hooks, I'm sorry. And the loops are just meant to grab onto. And see, they like that loop. You know, from the time a child is born, the first thing we do is grab, mm-hmm. right? We, we hold on to, we, oh, look, he's grabbing onto my yeah. finger. How strong yeah. is it? Right, how strong is this child? Let go of my glasses. Right, let go of my glasses. <laughs> Stop pulling at my beard. <laughs> <laughs> Mommy doesn't want, want her daughter to pull at her hair. Exactly. But that's one of the first things we do. Mm-hmm. And uh, St. Augustine, he said, you know, the child is jealous for all Mm-hmm. all that he has until his hands are full mm-hmm. you know and we were very much in that way see the first first guys that are sitting there listening to Jesus preach they're like well they're still holding on to the idea of who he was as a kid mm-hmm. 
They're holding on to the idea of judging him by his family and who's around him. Yep. The second set of people, they're like, go with your hands empty. Take nothing with you. Don't have anything to rely on. And you rely on me and mm -hmm. you'll be connected to the source. That's a good, strong connection, like good, strong Velcro, right? That's right. And then you're looking at Herod, who's holding on to his kingship, his identity, mm -hmm. his oath, his, his family, even if he wasn't yeah. right to him, yeah. <laughs> his niece, niece daughter, yeah. his brother, ex, whatever. I don't know. That's a whole yeah. crazy... <laughs> I wonder if he killed his brother. Right, well, I just took her out. Oh, that's, that's, that's a whole mess. mess. That's a whole mess. Yes. That's that's like this old song I remember called "I'm My Own Grandpa." Look it up, people. It's <laughs> hilarious. So, uh, anyways, the deal was they've got all this, and even the disciples who had gone out mm -hmm. before him, they're like, "We don't have any food." Yeah. But haven't you had empty hands before? Mm -hmm. And then then they're like, "We can't even row this boat gently down the stream." <laughs> and Jesus is like, "Oh, muffin, you need some help. Yeah. Let me get in there." They're like, how do you not understand we can take care of this if we mm -hmm. can take care of feeding 5,000 mm -hmm. people, right? Mm -hmm. But over and over again, we see this, and it ends up with this big emphasis when he ends up into this non-Jewish part. Yep. And they're like, we don't have any preconceived notions. Yep. Here we go. And we even see that within the church. Mm -hmm. So like new believers who experience something, ooh, it's tails on fire, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. We just can't even can't even sit down. My biscuits are burning. Mm -hmm. i got to run all over. And, and when you were first uh, first became a, a, an honest believer, a mm -hmm. follower along yep. the way, uh, it was probably hard to shut you up, right? It was. Well, I'm introverted. But I, even so, yes, it was hard to shut me up. Yeah, yeah. And, and as introverted as you are, I mean, we're, we're mm -hmm. pretty good opposites here, right? Yes. <laughs> oh, by the way, I, I saw a thing that says uh, how introverts get friends. Okay. Um, there was a there was a pie chart, and very about maybe five percent of it is dogs count as friends, right? <laughs> and then the rest of it was an extrovert found me and adopted me. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I think we've been friends in that in that same kind of way, I right? So, yes, sir. <laughs> Are you calling me a dog? Uh, no, nope. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Well, this is kind of some good insight into what we were looking at, you know, and when we see that, when, when we get those hooks all muddled mm -hmm. up and we get our hands too full of something, we can't go into something else. Mm -hmm. Now, I know you got a young daughter at home. Is she you? four now? She's four. Oh, my. Oh, my. I'm thinking of Sesame Street now. Okay. I don't know if uh, you remember this back in the day, but Sesame Street, they had, Ernie always played what? The saxophone. You did he did, believe it or not. Right. It was terrible. He was terrible <laughs> at it. And he, the other thing he always ran around with other than Bert was... Rubber ducky. The rubber ducky. And there's this time that... Um, there's this one skit they'd play over and over and over when I was a kid. And what it was is they had this owl and this whole band going on. And he wanted to play with them. But all he could do was squeak his rubber mm -hmm. ducky. But he wanted to play the saxophone. Mm-hmm. And the whole big deal was you got to put down the ducky if you mm -hmm. want to play the saxophone. Mm -hmm. you got to get rid of those lesser things to get the greater mm -hmm. thing. And I think there's something to that, that whole idea of your Velcro being latched onto mm -hmm. the wrong things. It doesn't make a connection anymore. And that, you know, you can't let go of one thing to, you got to let go of one mm -hmm. thing to get the, the greater piece. And really the, the concept of how we deal with God is connectional and relational mm -hmm. in nature. God deals with himself perfectly in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a perfect unity and communion. Mm -hmm. 
And we can make that happen, but we've got to let everything else go in the meantime to make that that connection powerful and useful, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, do you want to pray us out? We'll finish up this section, and yeah. we'll actually. I, I want to come back to something you just said yeah. a moment ago. <clears throat> You're talking about a, a new believer not being able to to, to shut up. He's so excited, tail on fire. Yeah. And that is awesome. I love that. I was that that very person. Um, I was lucky enough. Um, I, I wasn't in a church situation. Yeah. I was not a Christian um, when I was converted. Um, I was lucky enough that I that I walked into the right church, mm-hmm. and and they supported me. Yeah. Because too often I think that there are Christians out there, much like um, the Christians in Jesus' hometown. Oh yeah. Who you know, someone comes in, they lay their tail on fire, and they would much rather be the wet blanket. Mm-hmm. Putting that fire out. Yeah. Well, I don't know. We don't do things like that around here. We don't. This is this is, this is what we do. We yeah. come in. We listen for forty-five minutes or an hour. We we might have a potluck and then we go home, and that's that's what we do. We don't do anything beyond that. But instead, if if your tail is on fire, you gotta light them up. Oh yeah, you gotta let them. You gotta put them near the the kindling. Yes. In fact, one of my favorite Bible studies and my ba- favorite Bible stories is with Samson. Okay. And. Uh, his wife is tricked mm-hmm. and gives away his, uh, his issue and he ends up going really berserk or crazy mm-hmm. and he captures 40 foxes, ties their oh, tails sorry. together, <laughs> yep. takes them up to his enemy's wheat fields and lights the fox's tails on fire and burns the whole thing down. <laughs> so cruel. But it's, it's really cruel. <laughs> it's quite terrible. It's well thought out. It is, yes. <laughs> but there's something to that when, when we get someone who is that excited. It's not just a matter of like, okay, you got it now, there you go. We actually have to nurture that and disciple mm-hmm. that. Absolutely. So you got to put them near the kindling at mm-hmm. that point. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just get a seed that's ready to bust out of its shell Those and put it on the ground. Well, you got to keep watering that mm-hmm. thing, tending it. So absolutely there's something to that. we we got to explore that definitely. So we kind of look at how we can actually make things grow. And we we all like to plant, we all like to harvest, but we don't like the tending, do we? No, no, that's <laughs> the hard part. Yeah, and we actually have to let pa- people's passions be their passions. Mm-hmm. And there's different pogs for different reasons. You know, when you see a, a piece of equipment on the ground, you see a, a random gear, mm-hmm. you got to look at it. Does that go to a car or a wristwatch? Yeah. Mm. You gotta figure that one out, right? And there's different different pieces and different sizes for different reasons. So we are the body of Christ, and we actually need to attend to those particular things. Absolutely. Well, was there anything else you wanted to add no, to that? I'm good now. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you for running through this with us in Mark chapter six. Thank you for exploring that with us today. Um, thank you again, Matt, for making the drive down from Pearl City all the way to Comanche. Glad to be here. And uh, make sure to see him on Sunday at eight thirty in Pearl City and ten o'clock in McConnell. That's good. I'd attend McConnell, or the uh, McConnell, because that's uh, a, little later. a little bit later. Yeah. I like that. I like that. I am a Sunday worker, but, man, I'd prefer 10 o'clock, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, everybody, we just want to make sure that you're inspired by the Word. We want to make sure that you understand what's going on. And the, there's always more than what we can explore here in half an hour to an hour. But uh, make sure to go back over it. Highlight your Bible right in it. Make notes for yourself. But most, impa- most importantly, what you've been given, give out to others as well. Absolutely. Matt, could you close this in prayer, please? Absolutely. Father God, we, we give you thanks and praise for, for everything that you give us. Um, 
everything you give us comes from you. We, we realize that even if we don't, we don't want to under, how, know how to understand it sometimes. Um, but we know that all, everything we have comes from you, comes through you. Just like those disciples who were sent out with nothing. God, you provided for them just like you provide for us. But Lord, sometimes we don't recognize you. Even, even in our own families, even in our own daily lives, even in our communities, we, we don't see you working, we don't understand you. Or when we do, we, we dismiss you as something else. Yes, Lord. Uh, Lord, just open our eyes and open our hearts so that we may truly see you working in the world and we may give you the credit you deserve that we may be coming to you, hands open and empty, waiting for you to fill them. You are a God and we are your people and we are so very fortunate. Continue to bless us, continue to guide us, continue to light our tails on fire. All this we ask in your son's most precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, everybody, thank you for joining us today. Uh, I always tell you grace and peace at the end of this podcast. Well, this is what I mean. Make peace with God so you can be his grace in this world. Have a great day and tell somebody.